you need a Bible, raise up your hand. We'll make sure you get one if you don't have one. If you do have a Bible in your hands, go ahead and open up to the book of not numbers. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Torah. That is the first five books of the Bible, the books penned by Moses, the Torah, also called in the Greek the Pentateuch, meaning five. We're in the fifth book. Not bad. Not bad. Two and three quarters years, four books of the Bible. Good stuff. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Topol and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahab. It is eleven days' journey from Horeb, that is Mount Sinai, by way of, the, of Mount Seir, to Kadesh Barnea. Okay. 11 days took him 40 years in the 40th year verse 3 on the first day of the 11th month Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all the Lord had commanded him to give them after he had defeated Sihon the king of the Amorites who lived in Heshbon and Og the king of Bashan who lived in Ashtaroth and Edrai across the Jordan in the land of Moab Moses undertook to expound this law. Father in heaven, we now enter into this great book, this prophetic word from the mouth of Israel's greatest prophet prior to Jesus, and that's Moses. And we recognize this morning, Father, that this is a prophetic word. That these things which Moses spoke, he spoke by the command of your mouth, Father. That these words that flowed out of, out of Moses... Father, they're not man's commentary. They are your words as spoke through man. And so as we enter into a study of the book of Deuteronomy, we do so recognizing that we have here a word from the Lord. And I pray again that your word would wash over us. That your word would speak to us. And that we would hear clearly. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, this morning I got up a little early. I just felt the desire to have a little coffee with the Lord. He likes lattes. And so I was driving down to Oak Harbor, and as I was driving down there, I got just outside the city limits, and I thought to myself, as I'm cruising along, and I'm just having a great time, you know, and, and uh, as I'm driving along, I thought, you know, I haven't gotten a ticket in a while. <laughs> And when I thought that, I said, Lord, was that a word? <laughs> Are you, you giving me a little warning here? Is this something from the Lord or is this just me thinking about God? gratitude? So I slowed down. I got down to Starbucks. It was great. Had a good time. And got back in the car. And as I'm leaving Oak Harbor, there's a stretch there where you can see the 50 mile an hour sign. But you're still in the 40 zone. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. I saw the 50. So I'm heading for it. About 54. In a 40. I know that because that's what the officer told me. Pulls me over. And I'm thinking now, it was a word from the Lord. I had a prophetic word this morning. Don't speed. So he pulled me over. He was a really nice guy. And I, I've learned the, the number one thing to do when an officer pulls you over. I actually learned this from Lake. Cower. <laughs> it works. Trust me. Cower. You just shrink down. And I and no, I wasn't playing him. I, I knew I was going to. Actually, he came up to the side window and said, Do you know how fast you were going? I love that question. Because if I knew how fast I was going, I probably wouldn't be going that fast. 
Or maybe I would. But in this case, I just didn't know. I didn't have any idea. And I said, no, officer, I'm, I'm sorry. I had no idea how fast that was going. He said, well, do you know what the speed limit is here? No, officer, I'm sorry. I have no idea. <laughs> I said, you know, have you met the Lord? Because we're just talking here. And I was, we were just having a good time. And anyway, he let me off. He was very nice. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Why is that a bad thing? Thank you, Aaron. And blessings on you. For the rest of you, turn to Deuteronomy 32. I tell you that for this reason. Um, I do believe I got a word from the Lord this morning for this fellowship. As I was driving down, the Lord very clearly spoke to my heart and I wanted to pass on to you. And we're going to get it to you in two parts this morning. I'll give you the first part right now and I'll give you the second part at the end. But the first part is very simply this. Come out of the wilderness. Come out of the wilderness. Now, Frank mentioned that God's timing is perfect. It's interesting to me that you said that. As always, whenever someone stands up to share before communion, it amazes me how the Holy Spirit is speaking before I ever stand up and I hear things being said. I'm like, that's right where we're going. And once again, the Spirit did that today. God's timing is perfect. Now, we just finished the book of Numbers, the book of the wilderness, the book of wanderings. You might say, okay, but you're just being coincidental here. You're just trying because we're going into Deuteronomy now. Well, Deuteronomy actually doesn't take us into the promised land quite yet. Remember, these words are spoken in Moab across the Jordan before they enter into the promised land. But you need to hear this word clearly today. Come out of the wilderness. Some of you have been there far too long. Yes, the Lord leads His children into the wilderness. Yes, the Lord leads us into times of struggle, times of challenge, times of refinement. But it's not to keep us there. It's to pull us out and to take us into a new place. Come out of the wilderness. And hold that thought. Isaiah 55, verse 11. The Lord says, My word which goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Acts chapter 20, verse 27. Paul said, And I have not shunned to declare to you all of the counsel, the full counsel of the word of God. And Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, So we have the prophetic word, more sure, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It's how we have this word. Men moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God, God's Word. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, and Jesus said this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, that's critical, and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now this morning, we do, in in, uh, picture anyway, come out of the wilderness, out of the study of the book of Numbers, and into Deuteronomy. We go to a new place in our journey through the Word of God, into this fifth book in this fantastic 66-book library. However, this fifth book is unfortunately titled Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, it's an unfortunate title. 
Well, why is that? Well, because it's kind of inaccurate. It was uh, happened upon in the Septuagint. You may recall the Septuagint is that Greek rendering of the Old Testament scriptures written in Greek for those Jewish people who are beginning to speak more Greek and be more influenced by Greek culture. So along comes the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures, which were originally written in Hebrew. And at that time, the scribes, looking at Deuteronomy 17, verse 8, mistranslated it, thinking that the book of Deuteronomy is a restatement of the law. Deuteronomy, literally they called it Deuteronomian, Deutero meaning the second in Greek, and nomian law, the second law. But it's not the second law. The book of Deuteronomy is not the second law. If, if you've been, like I have, by the way, to be honest, moving through the book of Numbers, heading toward Deuteronomy and going, we're going to hear all this again, again. Leviticus and Numbers, restatement again. It's not a restatement. This is not a second law. This is not a repeat of what came before. Oh, there are things in it that Moses will go over, reminders, things that he will pick up on. But this is an entirely new thing. It's a wonderful thing. How many of you, when considering a book of the Bible to run to and study, think Deuteronomy? (laughs) Now I happen to know one or two of you do. Because you know the treasure that's hidden within this fantastic book. You understand that many of us now have missed a great feast. If you have never studied this book, I am overwhelmed just in the last few weeks with what I've been discovering here, and I'm excited to share it with you. Kyle and Delich, a couple of German scholars in their commentary on the Old Testament, said this. They said the book of Deuteronomy is given, quote, to make the contents of the covenant law intelligible to all the people and to impress them upon their hearts. This is a great sermon of Moses. 30 some odd chapters, 30 what, 4 chapters of, of sermon of Moses speaking to the people. Now we're not going to do it all this morning. Moses did. When he spoke it, he spoke it all. And the people stood and listened and heard and had the word impressed upon them. But it was spoken by Moses to make the word intelligible, understanding for the people to bring the people in to get the word into their hearts more deeply that they might be enriched by the word of God understanding the plan of God for them it is a prophetic word from the get go from the mouth of God now I'm going to give you three words to impress upon your hearts this morning just three words to remember as we intro the book of Deuteronomy as we just get a, a brief overview of where we're headed three very simple things to remember Single words, I'm going to tell you what the title is, I'm going to give you the key word, and then we're going to do the theme of Deuteronomy. So those three things this morning. The title, the key word, and the theme of Deuteronomy. First, the title. Because the true title, as opposed to the Greek and later the Latin Deuteronomy, is much more poignant in the original Hebrew language. The title of the book of Deuteronomy in the Hebrews to the Jewish person is Words. Words. Hebrew, Ella Hadebarim, words. Verse 1, these are the words. And you've discovered so far in our study through the Bible that often in the Hebrew scriptures, in fact most of the time, the first sentence or the first word is the title of the book. That's how the Jewish people just took it. They took the first word, stuck it up at the top, there's your title. 
And so these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness. Words. The whole of Deuteronomy are again the words of Moses. It is an awesome oration. A spectacular speech that goes on through the whole book. One big 34 chapter ongoing sermon and you thought I could preach long. (laughs) Churchill, Winston Churchill back in the early 1950s was invited to speak to the midshipmen graduating from the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. And people were very excited about this. Winston Churchill flying from across the sea is going to come in and speak to our midshipmen. This is going to be a fantastic opportunity to hear this great orator. And he was, in his time, one of the greatest, in fact, even beyond his time, one of the greatest orators in modern history. This man could speak. He could whip up a crowd. He knew how to address people. And so Churchill comes across and shows up. And everybody's anticipating this graduation announcement, this speech that he's going to give. And so he stood up on the stage and he approached the podium with with his typical austerity and prominence. And as he stood up to the mic, he looked out over all of the graduates there in Annapolis. And he said, and I quote, Never give up. Never, 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 never give up. And he turned and sat down. It's the shortest graduation speech in history. And if you've been to graduations, you know mostly they're not short. What Churchill did there is now known as one of the most powerful, albeit shortest, graduation addresses in history. Well, if that was one of the shortest graduation addresses, this is one of the longest. It is a graduation address of Moses. The people are about to graduate. They're about to come out of the wilderness. Come out of the wilderness. The Lord says to you and I this morning, come out of the wilderness and do so by my words. And that's the title. Words. Now I'll give you a quick uh, overview of this this book. Chapters 1 through 4 is a review of the journey. A review of the journey where Moses will go back over and remind the people what what has happened to them. Keeping it fresh in their minds. Helping them remember from Egypt all the way now to the promised land. Chapters 1 through 4. If you're taking notes, chapters 5 through 26. Moses then gets into the relevance of the law. I'll tell you what's different about Deuteronomy right here. Is it is the law for the people. For the people. As opposed to Leviticus, which much of it is the law for the priests. Numbers is much of the journey of the people. Now we come to Deuteronomy and and Moses is saying, this is why this law was given. This is how this applies to you. This is why it's important to write these things on your heart and get them firmly embedded in your mind. Chapters 5 through 26, the relevance of the law. Chapters 27 through 30, regarding the future. Regarding the future, Moses gets into this listing of blessings if you will listen to the Lord, blessings if you'll follow the Lord, blessings if you'll pay attention to His calling on your heart, and curses if you do otherwise. Now understand, the Mosaic Covenant is one of many covenants God makes with the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Of these covenants, it is the only one that is conditional. That's important to know. Because God made covenants with the people of Israel that are unconditional, not based on what they did. This law, this covenant, is a conditional one. If you will do these things, you will be blessed. But if you don't do these things, here are the curses that will befall you. And by the way, as the people of Israel sat in Babylon, 
and wept by the river and thought back to the land of Israel and to the beauty of Jerusalem, they would remember these words of Moses. And they would understand that it was by their doing that they were cursed. So regarding the future, chapter 27 through 30, blessings and curses. And then finally, chapters 31 through 34 will be a requiem to Moses. It's where we say goodbye to Moses. It's where he finally passes away. He dies. He climbs the mountain and is buried wonderfully by God himself. It's the only burial I know of that God did the burying. So, that's the simple but rich title, words. These are the words. It is a prophetic word of God. It is the word that God wants to place deeply within us. Now, the key word of this book, if you just want a one word to kind of hang this book on and think this is what the book is about and, and come back to, what we've talked about, that with each of the first four books that we've studied, we all, all of them had a key word. I don't know if you remember what those are. I'll remind you, the key word of Genesis was very simply Beginnings. Now speaking of the timing of God, I've been amazed since we started out this journey two and a half, nearly three years ago now, we started in Genesis. And I have watched in my own life, and I don't know about you, but for me personally, I have watched God speak specific words out of each one of these books at just the right time. I've been amazed by it. The book of Genesis, beginnings in the sojourning of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And how through that whole thing, it's, this, it's the beginning of God touching man. The beginning of God working in the hearts and, of, and minds of men and women. The beginnings. The key word of the book of Exodus. Redemption. Redemption. We said back at that time that if you could hear, if you could place a stethoscope on the heart of God and listen, what you would hear beating in God's heart is redemption, 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 redemption. Genesis is the book of beginnings. Exodus, the book of redemption. The key word of the book of Leviticus, very simply, holiness. God's standard set before us. That word holiness used multiple times throughout the book of Leviticus. And then we come to Numbers. And we know numbers that we just finished, the book of the wilderness, or wanderings. So each one of these books have a keyword. The keyword of the book of Deuteronomy might surprise you. As you approach it, you look at that big name and it sounds so legal and heavy, Deuteronomy. And the keyword is very simply, heart. Heart. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29 Moses says, you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. Deuteronomy 4.39. Moses says, know therefore today, and take it to your heart, that the Lord, he is God in heaven above, and on the earth below, and there is no other. Everything in this book is about getting the word into the heart. In fact, if you put the title and the key word together, what do you get? The words in my heart. The words in my heart, that's God's desire. That's why we have these studies. That's why we go through the Word. And I said this last week. It is not for head knowledge. It's for transformation. It's for Him moving in our hearts and changing us. Making us different today than we were yesterday or the day before or the day before that. Again, last week I said if you're the same today as you were five years ago, you're not listening to the Lord. As a matter of fact, it's impossible to be the same today as you were five years ago in your relationship with God. You're either closer to Him or you are further from Him, but you are not where you thought you were. You either press into the Lord, gaining more of Him in your heart, or you slide back away from the Lord. But understand that His desire, His desire is your heart. He wants your heart. Every ounce of it. Every aspect of it. And He doesn't want to leave any of it to you. 
He doesn't want to leave any nook or any cranny. He's kind of hidden. Well, that, that's my private area. Uh, several years ago, a little booklet came out. You may have heard about it called My Heart, God's Home. And if you read that, it was real popular for a while. And basically, it went through the different rooms of a house. And what would happen if Jesus comes into a life and you compare it to a home? And he enters the home and begins to move from room to room to room, establishing his presence there. Some of you have done that with your own homes. You buy property, you, you walk the property, you pray, you want to establish the presence of the Lord there. You build a house, you want to walk room to room, establishing the presence of the Lord. So this booklet was terrific because it goes through. And then one morning, the, spoken in the first person, the man writing the book, said, I, I walked by the study and the door was open a crack and there was light from the fire in there. And, and I, I wondered at that and I opened the door and looked and Jesus was sitting in there. And I realized that, that appointment that I have with him every morning, I hadn't been there in a long time and he was still there and he didn't judge and he didn't convict he, he just said would you like some tate coffee or a latte tate if you're maybe you've had one too many I guess but here's the beautiful thing about that booklet at the end of it this person who's given his home to Jesus his heart God's home it's all his and he feels wonderful about it until one day the Lord comes up to him and says there's one room we haven't dealt with. It's one room. It's in the attic. And the office says, oh, no, no, no. No, we don't need to go there, Lord. That's such storage, you know. We don't need to go there. The Lord says, no, we need to go there. And he takes them up to the attic. And they open it up. And it's that place that's dark. And it's dusty. And there are things that have been tucked away there for years that he himself had almost forgotten about but certainly that he did not want the Lord to know about. We all have it. God wants every inch of our hearts, every aspect of our lives. There is nothing that he would leave untouched. And so he gives us the word, which you know is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide. He gives us the word to get into our hearts and to begin to work itself out within us. Now, word. Go to verse 5 of Deuteronomy chapter 1. It's an interesting word that's used here. It says, Across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law. To expound this law. The word expound there is interesting to me, especially as we're talking about this key word heart. The word expound is ba'ar. In the Hebrew, literally it means to engrave. To engrave. So read that way, Moses undertook to engrave the law. What a picture that God engraved the law. Remember the first time he, he engraved the law on the tablets and then Moses broke the law and then Moses had to restructure some new tablets, carry them back up the mountain and then God engraved them a second time and that's exactly what the Lord wants to do to engrave his word upon our hearts to deeply embed it there. Deuteronomy 32 verse 46 tells us that Moses says to them take to your heart all the words which I am, with which I am warning you today which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of the law. For it is not an idle word for you, indeed it is your life. Listen to that verse again, TJ. Listen to that word again. Deuteronomy 32 verse 47 says, It is not an idle word for you, indeed it is your life. This is not an idle word, folks. And when we launch into study of the Word of God, there's nothing idle about what we're doing. It is your life, he says. 
And I would embed my word there. Later the Lord would say through the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33. This is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord. I will put, listen to this, I will put my law within them. And on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And I was talking to the Lord this morning. And, and the, the verse came to mind. There is coming a day when you will not say to someone, Know the Lord. Because everyone will know Him. We're not going to have evangelism anymore. Because everyone's going to know. So what are we going to do in that day? And the picture in my mind is we're going to all enter into that little study. And we're going to sit at the feet of Jesus. And we're just going to listen. And we're just going to hear as he expounds wonders that we have never experienced. We're just going to want to be in his presence. Bible study will be obsolete because the perfect word will be in our presence. And I long for that day. But until then, God says, between now and then, I want to write my word in your heart. I want you to be so full of my word that as you're driving down the road, it's just coming to mind. That as you go along your path, you know which way to turn, to the right or to the left. I'll show you which way to go, the Lord would say. And as the writer of Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he directly applies Jeremiah's verse to you and I. This is not just a verse for Israel, that he's going to write his word on our hearts and on our minds. No, the Hebrew writer says, that's for you. That's for me. That's a prophetic word for us in our lives today. So that I can say without question, this is a word from the Lord. Listen, this is a word from the Lord. Listen, this is a word from the Lord. I will write my word on your heart. On your heart. That's transplantation for transformation. I want to transplant all that's important to me into you. I want you to be so full of my word that it's overflowing. That's my desire for you, says the Lord. But I need to caution you at this point. You've got to be a little careful on where the word is coming from in terms of transplantation for transformation and the speaking of a word from the Lord. Because we live in a time, gang, where the Bible promises us that in the last days there will be an increase of false teachers and false prophets. And the Bible says, be aware. The Lord says, be alert. Because there will be those who say, a word from the Lord. But say it the Lord. I have a word for you. And it won't be. It will not be from Him. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Peter writes that false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves, indicating, Peter says, there are going to be people in your fellowship. There are going to be people within, seemingly, the body of Christ who will be false teachers and false prophets. Watch out. It's a sign that we're in the last times. Jude says in verse 16, he described these, these false teachers, these false prophets as grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. Now, as expected in these last days, and if it's warm, by the way, someone can open up doors if you're fine. Good. 
But it's expecting that in these last days there would be an increase of interest among Christians in the prophetic. And there is. In fact, there seems to be a growing interest among Christians in the prophetic word. In God speaking and us being led by Him and us understanding things that the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us. Now, let me explain that. <laughs> because the moment you say, there are things God asks you that He doesn't have in the Bible, there are those who go, whoa, whoa. I know that because I'm one of those. Who goes, uh, what, what, what? But there are things. There are decisions you have to make. There are places you have to go where you're not sure what to do. Gary and I were talking about this just last night. We had to make a decision, Cheryl and I did, about where our kids were going to go to high school. Because we're, we're parked right up here, right by the bridge. Are they going to go to Oak Harbor? Are they going to go to Anacortes? And I looked and I looked and I looked and I couldn't find a single verse. <laughs> where the Lord said where our kids should go to school. So we began to pray about it. And receive what we believe was a true word from the Lord as to where our kids should go. God does speak to us His words, Amen. even outside of the Scripture. However, those words will never contradict the Scripture. They will never undermine the deity and the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. And you will know this. And so we have to approach these things with discernment. Graham Cook, who is very much into the prophetic and a leader in prophetic movements today, has a book out called Developing Your Prophetic Gifting that I'm reading with one eyebrow up at this time. And he says the following, and I love this. He said, many people are rightly worried that an over-dependence on experience at the expense of the solid grounding of the word that good teaching provides may lead to error and abuse. Absolutely true. He says, on the other side of the scale, there is real concern, equally well-founded, that the ministry of the Word without the spirit of revelation, which the prophetic enhances, can lead to a correct but uninspiring and sterile formality. Have you been to that church? (laughs) I've been there. I've preached at that church, actually. Where the Word was dry. Where it was lifeless. And where I could not understand how God's holy Word couldn't be exciting. When the Spirit's not there. Cook goes on to say, A strong, clean, purposeful relationship with God, wedded to a life of prayer and study and meditation of Scripture, will always be more productive than a casual familiarity in those areas. And so it's a balance. And we've said from the beginning of the bridge, the Spirit and the sword together build a solid foundation for a church. It's not an either or, it's a both and. First second, uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 19, Paul wrote, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. So how do we do this? How do we really know when a person speaking God's word is speaking God's word as opposed to their own? How can we be sure? How can we avoid false prophets in these days? Or false utterances? Or false teachings? The book of Deuteronomy, gang. The book that is about the heart. And about getting the word in the heart. It's wonderful. Within this book there are many times where we're shown how to deal with false teachers. One of them is Deuteronomy 18. Flip over there for a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 19. prophetic word from Moses, a powerful word, especially for anyone who would think or wonder if they have a prophetic gifting. Listen to the word of the Lord. Chapter 18, verse 19, it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. This is the Lord speaking. 
But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. God is serious about the word being his word and not mine and not yours. He says in verse 21, You may say in your heart, How will we know when the word which how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? How do we know if it's not from the Lord? Verse 22, very clearly, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if a thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and I love this little ending. You shall not be afraid of him. So don't worry. Don't freak out. Someone in your life, someone you know, thinks they have a prophetic utterance and it's completely off base, and you know it's completely off base. Don't run and tower and be afraid. As a matter of fact, it's a good time to confront that brother or sister and say, hey, look, (laughs) you've spoken in error. And I love you too much to let you wander off without pointing that out. We can embrace the prophetia. That's the Greek word for prophetic utterances in the Bible. We can embrace those things in the heart. Because you see, the Lord doesn't just want to speak through the pages of Scripture. He wants to speak directly to your heart and to my heart. We should expect, when we pray to the Father, to hear answer to prayer. To have guidance and direction and the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not without, but in addition to what He's given us in the Word. If you want to be sure of God's will, you want to be certain of His purpose, of His Word in your life, Well, a good way to pursue that, even in pursuit of understanding prophetic things, Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Let me just tell those of you within this fellowship, if you are assessing or if you're wondering if maybe God is leading you into a prophetic type of ministry, let me just point out to you, the best thing you can do, the best place you can be, is in the word. Because the word hid in your heart will keep you from sinning. That's what the Word tells us. So pursue His Word. Hide it in your heart. Don't pursue Chuck Smith's Word. And he's one of my favorite Bible teachers. Don't pursue Greg Laurie's Word or David Jeremiah's Word or Graham Cook's Word or J. Vernon McGee's Word or even Rick Crawford's Word. Now these are all great guys. (laughs) But they're all just guys. And the only true word of the living God, gang, only the true word of the living God will transform your life. Not my advice. Not the advice of any man, but the word. The word will transform. The word will change. Um, The bridge has kind of gotten a little reputation. (laughs) Kind of a two-part reputation. One part is that we're hard to find. Where is that place? That's the barn. I'll just head out and look for a barn. <laughs> and I'm thinking there are people around who show up at barns and just kind of stand there while going. <laughs> but there's another reputation that I appreciate and that I'm thankful for. And the bridge is known as a teaching church. A church where the word is proclaimed, where we're moving through the Bible. But I need to speak this to each of you this morning, and please hear my heart on this. A teaching church does no good if you're not receiving. It doesn't matter. You can say, I'm a part of that teaching church, but if you're not taking in the teaching, it does you no good. And I've said many times before, I mean, you can show up on Sunday morning, and I, I love that you do so. But there's so much more. 
There's so much more than what happens today. You all know this, that when we study through the Word on Sunday mornings, we're getting snacks. You're getting one of those little snack packets that has the cheese and the three crackers in it, you know? And it's good, and I love that. It's good stuff. That with a Pepsi will hit me through the afternoon, okay? But that's, that's what it is, gang. There's a feast every Sunday night. There is a feast every Wednesday night. There is a feast happening in Bible studies that you can be involved in beyond just the sharing that we have this morning. And I don't say that to guilt trip anyone. Please, I'm not into that. Your choice. You know, we don't have a membership here. We don't track who's been there. You know, we don't go and, and check the numbers. I don't have Sharon back there with the clipboard going, okay, oh, here's who was missing today. Send out the happy guilt trip. <laughs> you, know, you know the one. It's a little car that says, we missed you. <laughs> Where were you? <laughs> I don't care about that, gang, but I know this. Romans 10:17 tells us faith comes from hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. And if you're not hearing the words of Christ, you are not being transformed in your life. Amen. Amen. Jesus says, Revelation 2.7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not he who has an ear. Go to a Bible teaching church and be proud of it. Be happy. And no offense to my Roman Catholic friends, but that's an attitude in the Catholic church that is pervasive. I'm a Catholic. I'm saved. Listen, no church can save you. No church saves you. No involvement in a church has anything to do with your salvation. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ that grows through the transforming power of the Word and His Spirit alive in you. That's what saves us. So praise the Lord that we're a teaching church. But I want you to get more than appetizers. And I encourage you to pursue the main course. We're going to intro, as we are introing, Deuteronomy right now. This Wednesday night is going to be prayer and praise. I invite you to show up for that. But a week from Wednesday night, we're going to be Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to start clicking through verse by verse, as we've done every, every Wednesday since we started. And moving through the book. And it's an awesome book, and there's a feast waiting for you, if you would have it. Hebrews 10, 23. A verse I never thought I'd use in this context, but I'm going to. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And the writer says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I see the day drawing near. I know it's coming. I mean, I become more aware of that every time I open the Word. Every time I pray, I am sensing the coming of the Lord is imminent. And so, for my part, can I just encourage you all the more as I see the day drawing near to get into the Word, to be surrounded with people of the Spirit, to be in prayer, to be in worship, to have that be the highest priority in your life. Not to go skipping by that little study in the morning, noticing the crackling fire as it dances on the side of the door and thinking, I'll get back to Jesus another time. I'll see Him next Sunday. Go to Him, listen to Him, and may His Word be hid in your heart. Because a teaching church is useless without personal reception. Now back to Deuteronomy. The title is Words. The key word is heart. Number three, the theme of this book. The theme of this book will surprise you. The theme of this book is amazing. The theme of this book is love. It's love. 
I want you to hear the central verse of the entire book, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This is the verse that it all keys off of. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. These are not words I would have chosen out of the blue if you had a month or two months ago said, Rick, what is Deuteronomy going to be about? I would have thought, ooh, more law. And yet the Lord has shown very clearly this book is about getting my word into your heart. Why? Because I love you so much. And I want you to love. And I want you to enter into that place. Love. The word love, gang, it occurs 24 times in the book of Deuteronomy. You might say, well, I always thought the New Testament was the love part. And the Old Testament was the kicking in the fanny to get into the New Testament. Isn't that what it's about? You're the warrior God, creator God, awesome God, mighty God, God of bloodshed, God of famine, God of plagues. That's the Old Testament. And the New Testament, God of love. You can almost hear, dee, 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 dee. It's the same God in the Old and the New. Same God. Same God. Same God, same love. The love that you see in Jesus Christ hanging on the cross in the New Testament is the same love God had for His children in the Old Testament. There is no difference. Why? Because God was heading that direction the whole time. He had a plan for His people. Come out of the wilderness. Come out of the wilderness and into the land of promise, the place that I have prepared for you. Why, God? Because I love you. You love us? No, actually, it was just all about knowledge and teaching, and I wanted to make sure you had verses down. There's going to be a quiz on that final day. Whoever passes gets in. Whoever doesn't pass, the way the world thinks. If I pass, I'll make it in. And so the way I pass God's quiz is I just do a few good things, help a few little ladies across the street, you know, one or two good things, try to balance out the bad, pass the quiz. There's no quiz. There's no quiz. Want to get an automatic A with the Lord? Love Him. Love Him. says, you know, there are going to be people who come to me and they say, Lord, didn't we do all these great things in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And didn't we cast out demons in your name? And He'll say, yeah, but I, I, I never knew you. I had no relationship. When did we just walk together? By the way, that's why I went and got coffee this morning because I realized how many times I'd walked by that little study door where the fire was crackling and the Lord was waiting. He wants relationship. And it's so mind-blowing that the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, the same God, wants to love and listen to be loved. Get your arms around that concept. The God of the universe wants to be loved. But it shouldn't surprise us because isn't that what we want? Isn't that the desire of our hearts, the deepest desire? I just want somebody to love me. I just want somebody to love me. And we've been given these words to be engraved on our hearts for the purpose of love. His word on our hearts equals love. That's how you get there. And love is best expressed in a single word, and this may surprise you, but the best expression of love is obedience. Obedience. How do you know someone loves the Lord? Are they obedient to the Lord? Following after Him, listening to His Word, doing what He calls them to do. John 14, 15, Jesus said in this beautiful oration, He's talking about where He's going and, and how He's going to prepare a place for them and they're going to come with Him and it's wonderful and you're just feeling warm and fuzzy and then He says, and if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. 
What? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Turns right around in John 15, 14 and says, You are my friends. Great, Lord. If you do what I command you, please understand the context. Jesus is not saying, If you don't play it my way, I'm going to take my football and go home. If you don't obey me, commands, if you don't follow what I said, you're done. You're out of here. He's saying just the opposite. The proof of your love is in following. The proof of your love for me is going to be in your obedience. If you love me, you're going to do what I say. That's the way it works. If you love me, you will obey. Because love is manifested in obedience. And gang, it's not obedience to get the love of the Lord. You already have that. Did you know that? He loved you before you were born. You came out of the womb, kicking, screaming, crying, slimy, most of you not real pretty. And the Lord loved you. In fact, He loved you before you came out of the womb, when He knit you together. He loved you. And you didn't do a thing to deserve that. You didn't do a thing to earn it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on the cross. And you and I didn't do a thing. We didn't ask for it. We didn't do a thing to deserve that. Why did He do it? Because He loves us. Because He loves us. Because He first loved me. Jesus says, John 15, 16, You did not choose me. I chose you. And Ephesians 1, 4 tells us that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. You were picked for the team. You were called off the court to be on Jesus' team before the world even began. How do I know? Some of you might say, well, wait a minute, okay, how do I really know if I'm chosen by Jesus? Maybe you're not a Christian. You're here this morning and you're just checking Jesus out and you're saying, how do I know if I'm one of those? Maybe you're chosen. Maybe they're chosen. How do I know if I'm chosen? The answer is very simply. Choose Him and you're chosen. Choose the Lord and guess what? You were already chosen. That's how to know if you're chosen. Choose Him today. Now I want to finish this with one last passage. Turn over to Mark chapter 12 and we'll be done this morning. Mark chapter 12. of the book is words. The key word of the book is heart. Getting the word into the heart. And the theme of the book is love. And by the way, I'm going to give you one other great reason to study the book of Deuteronomy. It's simply this. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy more than any other book in the Old Testament. That's his book of choice. We're going to talk about this next week, but when Jesus was tempted three times, he responded to Satan three quotes, three Bible passages he had memorized that he spit right back out at Satan, all three from the book of Deuteronomy. You want to know a good word in this book? Deuteronomy is the one to know. And so Jesus, knowing this and having this book, all of God's word, obviously he was the word incarnate, but his word, God's word on Jesus' heart, replies to a, a question. He appeals to the book of Deuteronomy in response to the question, what commandment is the greatest of all? Verse 28, watch this. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is... Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now the scribe said to him, Right, teacher. (laughs) In other words, right on. You have stated truly that he is one and there is no one else beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now listen, I told you we had a word this morning. Two parts. Come out of the wilderness. Come out of the wilderness. Come out of the place of fear. Come out of the place of strife. Come out of the place of mistrust. Come out of the place of doubt. Come out of the place of sorrow. Come out of the wilderness. And Jesus says at the end here, when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. What? Do you hear that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom. The word has come out of the wilderness and into the kingdom. Come out of the wilderness and into the kingdom. Jesus, right now, as we speak, is preparing a place for anyone who calls on his name for salvation. He's preparing it. He's getting it ready. He's been on it for 2,000 years. It's going to be awesome. But today, right now, in the present, the Lord would say to you and to me, come out of the wilderness and into the kingdom. There is kingdom coming. There is kingdom now. And the kingdom now is that place of love that God invites you and I to this morning. Let's back.
communicating. We need to come out of the wilderness and into the kingdom where love is manifest. Where love is experienced and shared. Out of the wilderness of pride and out of the wilderness of arrogance we need to come. There are some here, Father, who are caught up in the wilderness of busyness. The demands are strong in the workplace. And there's no fulfillment there. We need to come out of the wilderness and into the kingdom where there is rest and where there is Sabbath and where there is great peace at the feet of the Savior. this morning who are in the wilderness completely lost caught up in the things of the world and not knowing or embracing the passionate love that you Jesus showed us at Calvary the proof the absolute proof of your love for us across history is that cross it's the nail prints in the hands, the spear print in your side, the nail prints in your feet, the face brutalized and the brow crushed under the weight of the thorns. The proof of your love. And if you're in the wilderness today for any of these reasons, the Lord invites you to come into the kingdom where there is peace and where there is love and where there is reconciliation and redemption and restoration. This is where God invites us to be. The Lord says, come. Spirit in the church say, come. Drink of water that is freely given. we pray I beg of you if you don't know the Lord personally this morning that you don't walk out of here without accepting Him as your Lord and Savior you can do so right now if you, if you want to become a Christian today would you just pray with me and as you do so if you just lay your hand across your heart and just say Lord Jesus I'm a sinner
and come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. In Jesus' name we pray together.